Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from what well, it's Virginia. What's the city again, Don? It's Wise. W I S. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure I had you in the right spot. Is Don Green and Don doesn't probably need a lot of introduction because he's been on the show um, many times and you have 39 books to your personal authorship. Is that correct, Don? I don't, you don't, I don't, even... I don't know who can <laughs> Well, that's what it says out there on the big uh, Google internet is 39. Yeah. So whatever well, the number is, it's a lot. And he is the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And for my listeners, if you've never been to the website, go to naphill.org. That's where you can learn about the courses. You can learn more about the books. You can learn about the foundation. And Don is a consummate learner. And I'm going to let the listeners know a little bit about you, Don. Uh, he's an American business entrepreneur, having built successful savings bank, a real estate enterprise, and a host of other small and successful businesses in Southwest Virginia prior to the latest career with Napoleon Hill Foundation, uh, which has been for quite some time. As the CEO of Napoleon Hill, Don has energized the works and flamed the authors and hosts new books and noted authors demonstrating how the principles of the late uh, Mr. Hill worked to advance the individual and network in other areas around the globe. He's demonstrated a unique determination to expand the knowledge of Napoleon Hill's work uh, motivational work, and moreover, Don is a new global social entrepreneur. He's become one of the leading evangelists for entrepreneur self-help through and propel utilization of Napoleon Hill's key, keys to success and think and grow rich. Um, I could go on and on and on about Don. Uh, we were going to learn more about him here myself, but he has been a mentor to me and somebody that I honestly respect and I with tremendous admiration. And I think every author out there, many of the people that are in the personal growth and self-help arena know Don Green. Um, and so, Don, that kind of leads me to this. In the introduction of the book, you briefly explain the history of Napoleon Hill. Um, can you tell a bit about the history and how you became involved as the executive director just prior to popping on here, you were telling me a little bit about the story in W. Clement Stone, and I thought that was interesting because I, I didn't know the connection myself. So tell the listeners a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, Greg, I, my dad was an underground coal miner. We didn't have a lot. We didn't have running water in the house until I was in high school. We didn't have a bathroom in the house until I was in high school. So it, uh, But I had a good work ethic I got from my family. But uh, I love to read. My mom used to tell me, uh, she said, if you don't quit reading so much, you're going to go blind. And uh, I think I lay the book down a little while. But, you know, I just I read everything. I read biographies and I got inspired. And um, we didn't we didn't have books in our home by the Bible. But uh, we had a tremendous library. And the fact is, I support them. And we have nine nine offices local, uh, really, really good for a rural area. In fact, is I took nine books by and the. Uh, Little lady just retired uh, from the as a librarian of those nine branches. Uh, retired. She was in my class when I taught it back in nineteen nineties. So I should have been retired too, I guess. But I just love to read, and of course I read Hill, and he was from this area, and which enthused me even more. And not only did I read his books and read his books, I tried to read everything that he ever said read. Just like now, yours that book you mentioned, I was writing it down. I got part of it. Because whether you send me the book or not, I'm going to order that book. If someone I respect mentions a book, I'm going to read that book, thinking because I'm still learning. And I may pick something out of it. I'm sure I will that I can use sometime. But um, any, anyway, I read those books and read those books. And uh, I'm just, I was inspired. I was, I think I was making 75 cents or maybe a dollar one summer. Mom didn't know what we was doing, my, me and my two brothers. But this man hard is to pull steel out of a mines in West Virginia. And uh, it's about a three-hour drive from here. And he gave us his truck. He gave us wrenches. And we uh, t 
took the rails apart in the mines, which they rusted the mines shut down, and he bought the mines out. Steel was very valuable. I think it was about $300 a ton. And so we had a wrenches, WD-40, and when they couldn't, that wouldn't work, we had a hacksaw. We'd saw the bolts off that connected those big rails. But one day in particular, I remember, gosh, this is hard work. It's about 40 inches high, which meant you couldn't stand up. It's what my dad did. And I, it just something said, you know, them guys do this kind of work, they make a living. But them guys you read about in them books, they're using their mind. They're the ones that get rich. And I was just red, 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 and um, and just, uh, just uh, I guess, dreamed or whatever and made gold, some of them, which was uh, outlandish, crazy. But uh, How did uh, W. I, Clement Stone play into the picture? You, you were telling me you wrote a letter and you got invited to go to Chicago. And I think this is a fascinating story for the listeners. Yeah, and if you come in here to show you sometime, I'll show you the letter he sent me. He sent me, and, and I framed it. But uh, I spoke at a historical society in Pound, Virginia, which is within five miles where he was born. And uh, what I thought, two things that stands out. One, they didn't pay me, and they didn't even feed me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there were about 20 people, and they didn't know who to, basically didn't know who Napoleon Hill was. So it's about a 15-minute drive. So when I got back home that night, I took a pad off my end nightstand, and I wrote a letter to uh, to uh, the foundation, and they were in Northbrook, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, I think. And uh, I told them what I was doing. And I, now at the time, I was a bank president. I didn't need no. I've been, I was chairman of the board of the local nonprofit hospital, a president of the Chamber of Commerce, on the board of the, of, of the um, of banks, doing all kinds of, I had plenty of things to do, but they uh, answered my letter and they invited me to a board meeting. And this is where I say is, and we got a quote from Napoleon says, if your ship don't come in, maybe you didn't send one out. Yeah. And what I say is, it, uh, and I'll, 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 I'll lay one out and send you one of them. It's, fr- it's frameable. But, uh, but they invited me and I went. And I was anxious to meet Mr. Stone. The fact is, we don't have a lot of flights, so I probably got there at least a couple of hours or so, before, or maybe more. But uh, I knew where we was meeting, and uh, I was watching for him. And and he traveled usually with two people. I think it was a helper and a nurse, but they, uh, even even back then. But he had that little mustache. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember gold cufflinks, and I was so anxious to meet him. That I wait till he sat down before I did because I want to sit next to him to make sure I heard what well, he said. Well, for my listeners, if they don't know and and they can look him up, he was the founder of Combined um, Insurance Company, and they used to have a sales force of people that went out across the United States um, selling supplemental policies. Um, it first started because I've read the story about him uh, when there was a car accident, and it was. Uh, and and his mother was involved as well in the whole thing. But, you know, this book, Napoleon Hill's Secret, is really a culmination. You know, Don Green has been the executive director for how many years now, Don? The 23rd year. 23 years. And he's been so ingrained in all of this content that this particular book that I'm holding up here, and I want all my listeners to see it, is the book that... If, if you were going to get any book, get get this book, really. I mean, this is my plug for this. And, and the reason is, is because as I was going through it, I was really realizing that Don has put in the entire teachings. If you've never written, if you've never read Think and Grow Rich, obviously, that's one of the books you should get. You can get it from the foundation as well. But there's so many books about Napoleon Hill's teachings. Why did you write this book? And why do you believe that the secret is so important for people to understand? Or I should say the secrets. Um, this says a secret, but there, there's probably more than one. Well, um, yeah, I guess I guess there really are. I, well, I thought it was important because, uh, you know, going back when I did the 37 edition of Think and Grow a lot of copies of Think and Grow Rich out there. And I told our attorney I was going to do Think and Grow Rich. I would take his personal copy, 1937 first edition, and say, print this exactly. I don't want it edited. I don't want any added to it. 
I want, if you look up his first edition on page 111, you look up my new book on 111 that we're going to print, it'll be exactly the same. And I even had them redesign the cover. When the book come out initially, it had up at the top, for men and women who resent poverty. So we get so many questions of why did he write the book? And people, and then people says, well, it's not about money. Well, it is about money because it's during the depression. He said he wrote the book for the millions of men and women who were living in poverty and in fear of poverty, which, which is, which is, which is a tough situation to be in, but a lot of people never, never escape it. So that's what he was trying to do was to get them to do it. So we went back and printed the same book and the cover looks as much like as good, but we added that statement that was on the original copy for men and women who resent, uh, Zip poverty. But uh, in his book, Think, Greg, in his book, Think and Grow Rich, the word action, in fact, is as my working title, using action to achieve success. And then we played around with the um, humanics who own K- Newsmax Cable and Newsmax Magazine. They, they're the printer. And they said it was, was, was it, to them, they was so excited about it. They thought what I was talking about was Napoleon Hill's secret, which is action. You know, you've heard people say, got the best ideas in the world, but ideas in themselves are absolutely worthless. It's yeah. what you take the action to do it. You know, you can think all you want to, but thinking won't do it either. It says yeah. thinking rich, but there's also, there's also it's steps to riches. You know, when he says, what do you want? Next one is, what do you plan to give to entitle you to what you want? That seems people want to skip that. They know they want a lot of money. They want this or they want that. But, you know, no matter what it is, you want to accomplish it. For example, if your little boy comes along and he's 10 or 12 or 14 or somewhere along and he wants to be a doctor, he's got to start making plans for it. He can't just keep thinking about a doctor. He's got to finish school. He's got to make decent grades. He's got to take biologies and the sciences, whatever you want. That's the plan. But yeah. then it's the execution or the action. And, uh, and so many people, and what I know it holds them back is it's fear. Basically it's fear of criticism said, Greg, what do you think you mean you have your own magazine? Are you crazy? You don't know enough about putting a magazine together. Just forget it. Your, your people's going to make fun of you. You're going to fail. And then, and then you're going to look like an idiot. Yeah. And so you listen to those people and, and you, you're kind of looking, looking behind you and see who's watching you. You know, and well, say, it's, a, it's a lot, Don, about a PMA, positive mental attitude. And it's also a lot in your chapter called Dreaming Big and Small. You speak about the power of imagination. And, you know, they're probably, and I think I've told you this before, when I was seven years old, I got to meet Walt Disney. And to me, that was like, there was a person who honestly, you know, I didn't get to spend much time with him. It was very short. I got to shake his hand and say hi. But I was so taken by what he had created, the world he had created through this imagination. You say imagination is a skill. A lot of people don't think that. It's like driving a car, learning multiplication, you said in the book. What is the secret to developing both our synthetic and creative imaginations, if you, as you said it in the book? Well, we did, a, I did a, 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 an interview last night on imagination. And of course, most, most all of, uh, most all of the uh, things come about as synthetic imagination or simply taking something and improving on it, making it better, making it more accessible, making it cheaper or make it long, last longer adaptation to it. And of course the creative is, is taking something other of all Edison's uh, envisions. The phonograph's the only one that could be actually labeled as, as a uh, creative because nothing like it ever exists. And he had this imagination of, of if it could be done. And he drew the plans out on an envelope and told the guy, you do this, you do this, you do this. It worked the first time I tried it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, it was, uh, uh, was, but it, even like synthetic because he already knew that electricity put to a, to a wire heat would glow. Trouble it would go, it just go and didn't didn't last. So his only and he and he he understood that if you put something in a vacuum, remove the it was already a vacuum tube, you remove the oxygen practically hundred percent. 
that it would slow down the the uh, burning rate of the filament his, wouldn't the filament wouldn't burn filament out yeah he, he tried strings he tried bamboo he tried every kind of metal you could think of before he come up with a filament that would burn for hours and of course basically lit up the world with that yeah. one thing with that with that one thing it basically lit up the world and uh well and uh, i think nikola tesla as well you know i mean you look at edison you look at tesla you look at all these these great inventors that we can point out. Um, and in the end, you know, Tesla died penniless and in a hotel somewhere. And I think it was mainly because of the competition. Now you've got a car called Tesla um, who would have ever thought. And now, you know, the, actually we, this thing that we carry around that everybody carries around, it probably wouldn't be um, if it hadn't have been for Tesla. Um, and I think some of those imaginations and you say fire up imagination and envision this everywhere that you go, you meet people who respond to you with enthusiasm. And I think this is a key. You said just a second ago, go do this, go do that. All these people that come in your life, um, they're important and it's important to treat them right. And then what can our listeners do to create what Hill termed pleasing personality? Um, speak with us about uh, how we've inhibited ourselves so that we can be like have this great pleasing personality so that people around us would be magnetized to us. Yes, Greg, it is extremely important at, uh, that we develop that. And, and I think it uh, starts off with, a, of course, with a positive mental attitude and uh, and uh, and and with a uh, desire uh, to uh, to help others and follow at the same time you can't have imagination if you have negative feelings in other words you need to be at peace with yourself mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't sit here and despise your competitors despise your other and then but but then says yeah i want to be creative i think you got to have a you got to have an open mind kind of like a kind of like a small child and uh and of course that at what that happens if we had the imagination of a child has, it would be unbelievable what we've done. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> it would be. But, but as parents, they tend to overprotect them. Your kid comes up to you and says, 12, you're old. I've been reading this book about so-and-so went to Harvard. I like to go to Harvard. Are you, are, tell the kid, are you crazy? You know how much it goes to Harvard? We don't have that kind of money. And the dream basically dies in the kid. Instead, we should say to the kid, do you, you, you really want to go to Harvard? Yeah, Dad, I want to go to Harvard. That's where so-and-so went. I want to go to Harvard. And he said, now, now the job is how do we get you to Harvard? And start well, and I on- think you mentioned something earlier, Don. I think frequently that is because of the fear that the parents might hold. In other words, the fear that they might not be able to afford it, whatever fears they're talking about. And I was listening to a story last night that was so compelling. Um, NASA had a contest for fourth graders. And this fourth grader in our town, just adjacent to me, had this whole thing drawn out. And there was a guy from NASA sitting on the floor with him. And whoever wins the competition gets to go to NASA. They get to actually go and take a tour. And this young man is in contention, but you should have heard him, Don. You should have heard him talking about how he would make this spacecraft and it would drill a hole in this ice thing and they literally could get out and he's going to explore a new planet. And I was sitting there in just awe of a fourth grader, right, who had all these drawings. They were all laid out on the floor. Talk about imagination, right? (laughs) Greg, I'm using an example. Uh, and, and in fact, this kind of goes back to banking by involvement. You can take a elementary, and I helped a young lady through school that related, a couple of divorces, and I helped her get through college. She got kindergarten. She loves small kids. Now you can you can be a real creative as a teacher. You can get a bunch of play doh, and you can you can make apples and fruits and bananas and little dogs and cat, animals and so forth. And them kids, you can hold their attention. But if you really, really want to get them involved, you go around to each one of them's desk and give them a hand of play doh and let them work on it and let their imagination form. And 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 that's how they do it. They gotta have an they gotta have an involvement. They'll get bored listening to you for a while. But if you involve them in the thing and 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 ask them what they can come up with, 
they will they will surprise you. And there was some of the lessons like learning in in banking. We had to do a budget in banking, and and so Greg would be my loan officer, and I'd say. I tell Greg, Greg, I expect you to increase outstanding by $5 million by the end of this, this quarter. Greg's probably having 10 say, Yeah, his guy's getting a big salary. Like, go ahead, go ahead and do it. But if I ask Greg, Greg, you're in charge of the loan outstanding loan now and, and we're doing well. How much do you think we could increase the loan outstanding? Nine times out of 10, Greg will give me a better number than I picked. Now, Greg is a part of it. He's involved. I'm not dictating to him. Greg is part of it, and he wants to be a part of the team, and he wants to get results. I don't know why that's hard to teach or whatever, but you're not much of a leader if you go around and say, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. You can't stand over and watch them. They're going, you're going to be walking away. Yeah, that guy, he's making a big salary. Let him go ahead. He think he can do it. Go ahead. But well, I think. I think Don Robert Greenleaf, who would taught the Greenleaf method of leadership, goes way back. You, I'm certain you know him, but you know <clears throat> most leaders, and and it still happens today. I see it. They believe everybody works for them. The reality is, you inverse the model, and you're working for them. Just what you're saying. You're basically saying, "Hey, what can I do to help and serve you?" Meaning, Greg, in this example that you were using right there, and. You know, you speak about in the book, who's in charge of your life? And this is a great example, what we were just talking about. You state that until we can make sure we're choosing what must be done and when to do it, uh, that we are going to have a hard time reaching our goals. Now, much of what Hill talked about was aims and goals and how to reach them and so on. Speak with the listeners about what Hill called the power of personal initiative, because this is a very important element. I mean, when you say the secret or secret, um, the, if if you are 100% responsible for where you are today, nobody else, um, just like you, you wrote a letter to W. Clement Stone and you took the action, right? It, you had the initiative. You said, this is my personal initiative. I'm going to write this letter. And nothing happens unless you take that initiative. So talk about that. It's it's very important. And I could I'll use I'll use one out of the life. Uh, it it simply means do it, seeing something that needs being done and to go ahead and do it without being told. That I've I've received the Sam Walton Award one year, and that's the only award I ever questioned why they did it because they're in Arkansas. We're in a little old town. And uh, so I, I actually got into touch with him. I got the Sam Walton Business Award, and it was for community service. Uh, I got a Sam Walton book. I got a Sam Walton Walmart cap and, of course, being a Walmart stockholder. But that had nothing to do with me getting the award. So I asked him, and they said it was due to the work that I did and the nominations that got coming in. But Sam told a story. He liked to visit all of his stores. And he visited one of his stores, and he's with the manager, and there was some junk or something or other, trash around the where you go out to check out. And, and he told the manager, he said, uh, that needs to be cleaned up. And he said, oh, we got a guy that does that. He'll come by after a while and clean it up. Sam just turns around, walks towards the back and asks him for a broom and a, an employee for a broom and a little And Sam goes and does it himself. Now, do you think he taught that guy a lesson in personal initiative? If that guy's IQ was as high as 40, he should have known that way when something needs to be done, I don't need to wait till somebody comes by. It needs to go ahead and be, do- be done. Right. And that's right. personal initiative. It, and it separates the people that are, are, are average and those people that rank way above average. It's seeing something or another that needs to be done and go ahead and go ahead and, uh, and do it in, without being told. And of course, he also says was, uh, they, these two kind of people that uh, will never make it. One of them won't do what they're told, and, them, uh, and the other is a group that won't mount to much. It can only do what they are told, and uh, so we have to separate ourselves from that. And it, it's not—it's not hard. And I think I think Don, it's also seeing what needs to be done. In other words, being aware that that pile of dirt or whatever it was was there, and making sure that it was cleaned up every day ahead of time, whatever it is. But again. I, I have seen many times in various uh, establishments, and I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, it, it's like the workforce 
misses the most apparent things. And then sometimes I do bring it to their attention, right? I say, hey, you need to, there's something wrong over here. Um, You guys should get it fixed or you should do something about it. But I don't know um, when you instill this behavior, let's call it a behavior. Let's call it something that I stand for a value, which would be cleanliness, right? In this case with the, with the Walmart um, to actually have that. And, and that's the personal initiative we're talking about with it that people need to get, right? Absolutely. Personally, yeah. it, it will, it will get you promoted. I, I, I think of the uh, theory of compensation of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was one of the people that he'll read. And, and uh, he said, that if you do, if you're doing that, if you're addition personalist, if you're doing more than what you're what is actually required of you, that your employer will recognize you. And if not, some other employer will recognize you. I've only applied for one job in my life, one job, and it was in the finance, it was in the finance industry, a dollar and 15 cents an hour, but they call me hotshot. I worked my butt off and they furnished us books and courses in economics and marketing so forth, which we didn't have to pay for, which I thought was just absolutely wonderful. And I just knew good as anything. And I have a letter somewhere another one time from with with the finance company that I was their youngest manager in history. And they they call me hotshot because and because it basically I was the smartest person on the planet. But I had initiative and could see things that be need to be done. And yeah. of course they could call it creativity or, or whatever, but just seeing with your a vision of what can be done, what's possible and, uh, and, 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 and make an application of it and it, and it will pay rewards. It may take a while, it may not, but. Well, uh, I mean, one thing I know about you from the time that I've known you is that there isn't anybody that could read as many books as you do and do all the work <laughs> that you've done without being curious. And I think there's something to be said for having a curious mind and turning that curiosity into a purpose and then adding goals to that purpose uh, to achieve something because it's okay to be curious. It's okay to have many different interests. But then if you if your purpose is around something and you define it and you come up with these goals and then you come up with the interim goals, meaning the, the proximal goals, um, that's important. And I, and I want to ask you this question about the analogy of physical fitness. And you talked about in the book, all the magazines, the promise that will improve our physical fitness, right? Well, there isn't, there isn't one magazine that's going to improve my physical fitness. It's going to be me that's going to take action to, to do that. And I, I know that. You then ask the reader to question their mental fitness. And I think that's where I'm going with this question of like, who's in charge? Speak with the listeners about mental fitness and the principle of concentration, because, you know, focus, focus is for free. And you know that when you concentrate and you get focused and you get laser focused, that's when you accomplish something. But oftentimes you have to explore the curiosity of what's out there to find the thing you love. Right. In other words, what is this one thing I love? Um, we often know, and I'm, I, I don't know about your situation, but, you know, I have two children that are now in their 40s and they've tried many of them, many different things. And then when they found that one thing, boy, did I see huge acceleration, right? They got extremely focused and did really well at it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What do you think? No, I don't either. I mean, uh, uh, we learn by doing. We sometimes I know I have. I've learned more sometimes when things didn't work than when they when they did. We learn lessons, and and the I think the trouble, Greg, is when people so called fail at something, other, they quit. But you 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 have to learn to laugh at failures as lessons. It doesn't mean that you've been defeated. It means this didn't work. We've got to try another different approach. Now, if you and I was going to leave Virginia, go to Florida, we would know that we we're going to go. We're going to be traveling south. But if we've gone down Interstate 26 and we get down going through Tennessee over to North Carolina during snowstorms, sometimes that road's blocked. And I can remember when it used to be a long time. It would be for days before they could clear it. Some might be slides and and what have you. But we we're not going to quit. We simply turn around, go and, and take an alternate route. 
And I think so many times people have said, you've not you've not failed until you quit. And you have to look at it that way. I, I could tell you some lessons you don't have time to listen to. I mean, I remember one was selling art. I got real good, I thought, and uh, selling art. And I went to this big auction. And uh, <laughs> I, had, I had about 10 or 12 Russian paintings, which it was a guy who did the movie set for War and Peace. And I'd done real well with them. I didn't need the money. I just, you know, they it was Bethesda, Maryland, Sloan, Kenyans. They serve you wine, cheese, and uh, people were dressed fancy and so forth. And then my name's in the book and got them pictures and all. And then things started selling. Some of them sold for less than what I paid for. And I said, Don, are you stupid or what? All I had done was put a minimum price in it. If it didn't sell, I'd, get my, I'd send my painting back. But it was a process. But I didn't quit. The next time I shipped something off, I had to determine what I wanted for at a minimum price or it didn't sell. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't quit. It never come up before. Things always brought more than what I imagined. And I, I said, I mean, sold through stuff through Sotheby's. And I, I just love the process because I was giving the money away. It wasn't a money thing. It's just a process of doing it. But then that one, I did that one is, and I said, boy, Don, you look stupid. But, uh, mm-hmm. but. I didn't let it bother me. I thought it's kind of funny. I didn't lose my shirt or nothing, but I didn't get the money that I thought I anticipated getting on some of them. But, but anyway, it was a lesson learned. But know. it's experience. You know, I think a lot of these things you have to do to get, as what's termed many times, there's emotional intelligence. It's actually experiential intelligence. And, you know, you're somebody at like me, I'm going to be 69 in a few months. Um you you learn from experience and wisdom comes when you get older and you've had these experiences. And, you know, you have this chapter on creating harmony. And I think this is a great segue to this. And you speak about the importance of cooperation. You know, I think early in our lives, a lot of times ego takes over. But as we age, we realize how important cooperation is. Um, and a cooperating attitude. Uh, you mentioned that it's not something that can be turned off and on. It's something that we must maintain, has to be maintained. Um, and I agree with you on that 100%. Um, how would you invite the listeners to inspire a personality and a mindset of cooperation? Because, you know, you, you said it earlier 10 minutes ago. Uh, I can't look bad at the competition. You can't, you know, look at these people and say, oh, well, they're doing better and I'm going to do something to, you know, uh, get back at them or whatever it might be. That's not the way the world works. It never was and never will. Right. No, absolutely. I have a I have a young gentleman who set this thing up, this program up for uh, for us at uh, he's 26 years old. He's been here 12 years. I heard him in the eighth grade. I started at $10 an hour, 20 hours a week, eighth grade now, mind you, because I knew his mother taught computer science and his sister had worked with me for six years, three in high school, three in college, was a pharmacist. And they, both of them were kids of an underground coal miner. And he would tell his mom, why can't I work for Dawn? Sissy worked for Dawn. Why can't I work for Dawn? I said, I said, I can't work him till he's 14. The week he turns 14, get a work permit. And 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 so they told me, said, would you give Zane some lessons on finance when you have time? And said he don't really have any, don't really have anybody. And uh, so I told him, I remember the first day, I said, Zane, cooperation is one of the things we work with. We got all these foreign publishers, they keep developing. And they want to license the books most of the time for as little amount of advance, and we get advance on everybody because we don't know where they're going to perform or not. We can't run over and check all the books and so forth. So we we demand a, a advance on every book that we sell. And I said, they of course, they want to pay little as they can. We want as much as we can. But I, what I want you to know is we have to cooperate and consider where they're coming from, what country, what their economy is, and so forth. And I said, just remember, Fifty percent of something is better than all or nothing. That's that's there's that's, a best statement you made because part of the pie is better than the whole pie. If that's all you're going to get, that's what we used to say. And if you have enough of those, let's just call them deals going, like you do with various publishers and things, 
that all adds up in the end. And that's what you have to look at is, you know, we have to cooperate to get anything done in this world. Um, I wish that some of our governments today were doing a better job at cooperating. Uh, that would be a, a really nice thing to see. But, you know, to switch the gear a little bit, you have this part in the book that Napoleon Hill said, time and money are precious resources, but few people striving for success ever believe they possess either one in excess, time or money. And I know one thing that's extremely precious to guys like you and I is we start to, as you age, look at time. Uh, We know our finitude at some point is coming. We're not going to be on this in this physical earth forever. And we try and do as much as we can to optimize that amount of time that we're spending and do it in the right way. Um, I know I have a nonprofit that gives money to Ukraine and gives money to, uh, it was out this weekend handing out gift cards to the homeless. You know, that nonprofit of mine is the whole reason I do this show. Um, I literally, and my listeners know that. I walk around and I find homeless people and I ask them their story and I interview them and I put them on a, a video. And I think that time is very time well spent. And you speak with the listeners, if you would, about managing resources. And you say there's three styles of approach to managing resources. You call it in the book, you said engineers, uh, improvisers, and theorists. And I thought that that's a really great way to categorize people that are trying to manage resources. And when I say resources, we're talking about time and money because those are probably the most important resources you have. So talk with our listeners about that, if you would, Don. Well, all, all of them are important, and we can, we can I, I call it creating a legacy in different manners. I don't, I don't have uh, Bill Gates' money or Elon Musk's money, but I do have some things that, that I can offer, the le- lessons that I've learned. Like today, I'm having lunch with uh, one of the students and a professor. One of the students wanted to meet me. She had taken our course, and she wanted to be able to go make presentations to the to the local high school classes and so forth about the importance of the material that she had learned. And she wanted to meet with me and uh, and uh, have conversations. So there's a lot of ways we can contribute. And you mentioned you, you Ukraine and and when you get through, you can send me a, send me a, a, a link or something or a text or what it is. Uh, I love what's, uh, Ukraine effect is. We have licensed a book in Ukraine just recently. Do you, and do I'll, you have books in you in Ukraine? Oh, yeah. I'll, I just, I just licensed that with the devil. We've done several. Thank God. Thank God. I, 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 I praise you. Thank you for doing that. How many do you have over there now? I could. I'd have to look at. The, I'd have to look and see how many how many different ones we do because we have got about five hundred publishers. But we licensed in Belarus, uh, 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 Estonia, like Macedonia. You learn so much. Like Macedonia, <laughs> it's a little landlocked country, but it's the old Greg. It's the oldest country in the world. And I'm not going to not not going to teach the Bible, but in Corinthians, Paul after Christ was crucified, he had a call to go to. Macedonia and and to evangelize and probably no doubt spread uh, Christianity to I don't think we'd have Christianity exist today without Paul but that uh-huh. will, and people come and visit me now I'm not going to make a lot of money for Macedonia but I think I'm doing a service and when that when that book uh, comes in that's what you can see on these shelves there are all foreign books we got a sampling of, of different uh, countries because we asked for two I still get a thrill out of getting a book from Macedonia or Ukraine or somewhere. And the only thing I can tell, I'd open it up and it's got our copyright in English, or it should have. And uh, our attorney asked for our copyright to be shown in the front of the book. And that, and, and that's the only way we got checking if it got copyrighted. And you don't throw them away. I just I get boxes of them and get full. Well, of it's interesting you say that because I'm working on an initiative and I'll talk to you about it later, but real quickly, uh, we know that all of Ukraine is going to have to be rebuilt afterwards. And all these small business people who are really want to, to start working to do that. And I'm working with a man in Poland. Now that's how my money gets filtered. I'm buying bicycles for the kids that literally are displaced from Ukraine and they end up in apartments in Poland, but they come with nothing. 
And so I've made a great contact in Poland. I've known this man for very long and he's buying bicycles and things for the kids. And <laughs> important thing is, is that, <laughs> you know, that we're trying to do something to impact someone else's life. And I want to go back to this because people out there have time and they have money and you can, you know, I just gave money to the mercy ships uh, because I think they're doing good work. There's a lot of charities we can give money to, but we also can give time. And I think the most important thing, one of the precious resources was, you know, because you've been an executive director of your own found of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, but you've also done other charitable work is, you know, they call it time, talent and treasure, right? We always say that. And, and I think it is time is one of the most precious resources you have, but it's also one of the most precious resources you can give, Right. Absolutely. I mean, uh, for example, my mother lived to be in her 90s, grew up during the Depression, and uh, and they we eat, eat well. But uh, she lived alone for about 15 years. My dad was an old underground coal miner, crippled up. She lived alone. But uh, she didn't just hump up. She visited nursing homes, and, uh, and she was always helping someone. They had a sewing club. That they made uh, quilts and things. They raised money to send for foreign missions, and she was a, was a lot of. And she had a schedule of visiting a nursing home, and she was still driving when she was ninety ninety years old. Wow! And she didn't have money, but she had the she had the she had the time. And for example, I know she had a neighbor that uh, worked in the mines, and he got injured. And he got on opeds, and then he sold some. And they got him, and he served, I believe, 18 months. The neighbor's mom thought was shunned him because the, the, the guy, and he's passed away, he's gone, but uh, but uh, shunned him. What did she do? She bakes a cake and takes to him. She knows what kind of cake she is. She took a, she took a cake, and, and of course, mom had been sick some, and he said, Miss Green said, now, we can't, I couldn't do it, make it without you. And she said, and she told him that, uh, she told him, now, Gary, if you want to see me again, said, you're going to have to get on your knees and ask forgiveness. And she, and she talked to him just like she would one of her children. And she did, she did those things. And, uh, and, uh, one time she was probably 85. My younger brother was in business in Winchester and he came in and we went out in summertime. We sat on the porch and she said, well, I got two of you boys together. I said, I've been thinking about getting me a new car. And my younger brother said, wow. Mom said that one you got while well, it said last year. And I said, uh, Mom, you, you got the means. I said, Why do you want to get a new car? Well, the one I got's kind of little, and I thought if I got a station wagon, I could take more people to church. There you go. That's I said, that is a wonderful that <laughs> that's really good. You go ahead and get that, you go ahead and get that vehicle. And and we should uh, get her a van. You need to yeah. get her a van, right? Yeah, she, uh, she could she could take a few more than what she could get her get her get in her car. Get in well, her you car. know, we do live in a world where there is this need for compassion right now and understanding. And you know, I was listening to the story about the devastation of the torno- tornadoes in Mississippi. Here, all these people's houses are ripped up, and yet there's a lady walking through the piles, and it says on her shirt because they this was on national news last night um something barbecue bbq and so literally she fed 400 people the first night 400 people the next morning 600 people the following afternoon and she was out actually talking to the people in the piles of the rubble saying barbecue we're, we're, going, we're going to have a big barbecue over here. We're going to feed you, right? So here this person is from the, uh, I think she was part of a church or an organization. They didn't actually say, but the shirt was a big red shirt. It said something about barbecue. And I was like, this is just fantastic to see people come together in time of need and help other people out, just like you see going on in, in Ukraine and so on. Um, and Don, you know, your book here, this book, Everybody go out and get this. And you know what? Get more than one copy because you can give this away. This is a book that you really should give away as a, as a gift to somebody uh, to read. And I'm sure if you go to the 
Napoleon Hill website, and I can't sit, make for certain, but Don autographed this copy. And I'm certain that my listeners, he wouldn't be opposed to autographing a copy for you and getting it out to you if you bought it through the foundation. Um, the book is filled with sage advice, obviously, wisdom for anyone wanting to live a fulfilled life. Uh, that's what this is about. But there's, But I always ask my authors at the end, what three bits of advice would you leave the listeners with? that they could apply to their life today that would change something for them or improve something for them, one, on their personal success, and two, on a mental level of them feeling more fulfilled and more purposeful in their life about what's going on. Because that's the bottom line to all this, right? Yeah, yeah, Greg. I did a book with Jim Sowall, a quarter hook. Um, as it was living a legacy, and I think they got that wrong. And you're you're a perfect example of that. We always said, "Well, he left a legacy. He left a legacy. What's the matter? You can't live one." I want to see some good. It, it uh, it's happening while I'm here. Send the kids to school and the different things I can do. I don't want to have to die and leave the money and say, "Well, this goes to this or this goes to that." Why can't I do it while I'm still here? We're gonna. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. And I always equate it when you talk about helping, but to the degree that you do is, you know, the story of the little boys throwing starfishes back in the water on the beach. Yes. Said Sunday's millions of them said you can't save them all. He said it matters the ones I throw back. So no, we can't we can't help all those people in in Ukraine. But the little kid gets a bicycle. You made a difference in his life. So yeah, yeah one time, one time, one time, one. And if we all look at that thing, is not thinking. You know, the poem says we should plant trees under whose shade we'll never enjoy. We're to do things today that for those that follow us. And I had a I had a wise uh, mentor lived to be ninety six. He was chancellor to college. And uh, he was on my bank board. And uh, we had offices up in Harrisonburg, Pennsylvania places. And one of the trustees had a plane and he'd fly the guys. Doc, I call him. Uh, he, he didn't uh, he didn't like to fly. And so that time was with me was just so valuable. Of course, my wife always said I should record it. Well, it's kind of hard to record somebody you're driving. But I yeah. would take notes and remember it. And one of the things he said, Don, he said, I like the idea to what you're giving money to, for the kids. He said, a lot of people would want their name put on a building. But he said, you know how the college are. Now, he's Chancellor. He's guy in charge. He said, they'll put your name on a building. And after you're dead, somebody else come along. They'll take your name off. And for a sum of money, they'll put somebody else's name on it. But he said, that what you give to those kids, it goes into their minds. And they can pass it along to the ones that follow them. It makes all the difference in the world. So I don't crave to have my name plastered around over. To, I have enough recognitions while I've been here. But I don't crave something like that. But to know that I've helped hundreds and hundreds of kids go to school. And, that, and uh, a guy did a book on me. He interviewed 101 people. And Zane, my assistant, said 12 of them were students. And it was not a book to be sold. It's just a book he composed. And it was a it was a wonderful book of advice from 101 different people. I never told him who to interview. He almost had it done for and knew it. Well, but, you know uh, what I'll do? I think I'll put this up at the blog. <clears throat> You'll download. I got a magazine article that came out about Don. And this isn't just about the accolades for Don's folks, but this is about the the man that we're speaking with here on this Zoom call. And all for all of you listening on audio, um, the recognition that the university and the Napoleon Hill Foundation uh, gave to the University of Virginia. And um, the amount of proceeds that you've given for scholarships is just amazing. And I just want to commend you, Don, for the work that you've done at Napoleon Hill, and also the gifts you've given to the university uh, in the way so that you can educate more kids. And I love what you said because, <clears throat> you know, you can uh, you can lead a man to water, but you can't make him drink, right? <clears throat> and uh, but you want to teach somebody how to fish. And so the point is, is that you're a great teacher, and this book is got all the lessons in it that people really need to know. They don't need to go much further. And you can get it both from um, the Nap Hill website. You can also get it from Amazon, obviously. Um, whatever you do, get it. Get yourself more than one copy. Here's what I say. Buy a copy for you and buy 
one for your best friend and give it to your best friend. Um, Don, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth again. It always is. And uh, this time we're doing it with the video. So this will be up on YouTube for all my listeners. They know where the channel is. Um, and any parting words, Mr. Uh, Hill? Yeah, we will We will uh, put it out. But, you know, I absolutely love what I'm doing. We don't discuss my age, but I've had my 82nd birthday. So I absolutely love what I'm doing. I was married 54 years, and my wife's advice to my only ch- child, my daughter, said, don't let your daddy quit work. He wouldn't live 15 minutes. And I said, oh, I can make it a week, probably. Uh, <laughs> but I, You're I like see- me. I mean, uh, people have asked me when I'm going to retire, and I'm like, I'm not, because I don't have intentions of that. As long as I can be of service and continue to do what I do, that's what I do. And uh, I think that's important. And I, you know, money isn't everything, but it is important for you while you're growing yourself and raising your family to make certain, and Donald say this, he was a banker. And I look at you know, Silicon Valley Bank and these banks that have faltered. There's nothing wrong with our banking system. There's nothing wrong with our monetary system. The only thing that's wrong is that people don't save enough. Um, Okay. In other words, put enough away so that they can have a comfortable retirement. And this is me speaking, but at the same time, do good with that money. Do good. Do something positive with that money. Uh, Open up your own foundation like I have. I've had it since the 90s. Um, But actually do something where you can make an impact in the world. And Don Don Green is a perfect example of that. Somebody who's doing good every day. Um, He's got the kindest heart. And again, go get this book, one of 39. (laughs) Okay. So Don Green, thank you so much for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thank you, Greg. And sometime or another we'll discuss it. I wrote a book and I'm not just promoting it, it's called Millionaire Mindset. There is I've read thousands of books. There's only four uses of money. Only four uses of money. And uh people just don't get it. They just don't get it. Why is that? And this is my parting side. People will plan their vacation. He'll say, I'm tired of beach. Let's go to the mountain. Well, I thought you liked the beach. And they, they'll plan from one, one, one vacation to the next and before deciding where they're going to go and where they're going to rent a condo or where they're going to stay at the Hilton or whatever. And, and they'll even prepare store lists and stuff. This, but why don't they prepare for their life? Right. Right. <laughs> Victor Hugo said it real good 120 years ago, I think. He said, it's not that people were planning to fail. They simply failed to plan. Right. And now that we're all living longer, you actually can run out of money. (laughs) So you might want to start putting away more earlier than ever before. But this isn't a show on finance, but it kind of is on finance because Napoleon Hill spoke a lot about all of these things that we're discussing. And the foundation, if you go to the foundation, naphill.org, you're going to find courses, you're going to find content, you're going to find books, you're going to find all these things that would definitely make an impact on your life for the positive and make you make your life more rewarding and fulfilling. Thank you, Don Green, for being on Inside Personal Growth. Well, it's my pleasure. I just love doing it and maybe again for too long. We will. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.